Welcome to The Math of You, a podcast about formative media from when we were young. I'm Lucas Brown. On this, our 22nd episode, I'll be talking to Kevin Mann, co-host of the Attitude Era podcast, How To Wrestling and Cinema Swirl podcast, about point-and-click adventure games. Along the way, we'll discuss how a parent with a ton of VHS tapes is the poor man's Netflix, how to siphon petrol from cars, no, really, and a hidden gem of a point-and-click adventure game that we're pretty sure is never going to get remade. We'll finish the show with a signature cocktail and let you know how you can become a guest on The Math of You. Editor's note once again, while Kevin is an exceptionally easy person to edit, his track came in with a lot of echo whenever I spoke. I also record the Skype as a backup, but that was plagued with a lot of crackle and dropouts. You'll hear throughout the episode, there are times when I'll switch between the clean audio recording that has some echo and a little bit of the crackly Skype. Hopefully it's not too noticeable. We join this conversation already in progress. those who may not know you, why don't you say who you are and what makes you, in the words of Chris Haley, a beautiful and unique snowflake? Uh, well, I am Kevin. Hi. And I am a podcaster. I do a plethora or a multitude, as it's also known, of podcasts, mostly involving wrestling or me telling people things. I do the Attitude Era podcast, where myself and two of my buds went back and watched all of the pay-per-views from the WWE's Attitude Era, which was kind of a controversial but highly successful part of wrestling from our childhood i also do cinema swirl with my friend sam he's not seen any of the major hollywood movies that all of us grew up with so it's an episode by episode attempt of me to make him normal and then i do (laughs) how to wrestling with my partner joe who was trying to get into the world of wrestling because it was a you know kind of a passion of mine and something that she was quite interested in understanding so how to wrestling is me each episode trying to educate joe or teach joe or expose her to different wrestlers or different parts of the wrestling world which so you know all in all i've been podcasting for four or five years now and uh yeah it's a it's a bit of a passion of mine i guess that makes me a unique snowflake in that i'm the only one who's ever done podcasts ever i think (laughs) that's true you are the only one except you obviously you're the exception you know this is okay you know you doing your podcast but anyone else that's my gimmick don't steal it yeah once in a lifetime never before and never again Yeah, for those who might be interested, How To Wrestling especially is how I got to be in contact with Kevin. And it's a very interesting show in that if, if, because the thing is, listeners, I know a lot of you are not interested in wrestling the way I am. I know a lot of my Twitter friends are, and I know a lot of my real life sort of meat space friends are. But a lot of people who listen to the podcast are not wrestling fans. But if you were interested, say, for example, you listened to episode six, where Craig Getting was talking about being in an EFED and having a character called Lucifer. If that got your attention, then I recommend How To Wrestling, because Joe and Kevin will break down a particular wrestler, or in some cases a concept, and will kind of work from beginning to present. And yeah, it's, it's really interesting, and they break down certain matches and 
and we'll look at promos and stuff. And you two were the first people who reminded me that once upon a time, Kurt Angle was a man in a tiny hat. Yes, and it's kind of amazing now that Kurt Angle in my life has become a man in a tiny hat because Joe associates him so strongly with that. You know, uh, Joe saw a sign at a wrestling show we went to recently that said Kurt Angle's tiny cowboy hat, and I think she thinks that means that that is justification, that that is what Kurt Angle should be known as, as the man in the tiny hat. He's going into the Hall of Fame now, and I think Joe is going to be bitterly disappointed if he doesn't make some reference to, or at least wears a tiny hat during that speech. Or even better, if it's like you have the lead up to the ceremony and somebody gives it to him and it's like, and he wears it and they say, no, it was, it was, it was a joke. You look stupid. <laughs> Someone lets him in on the joke finally, <laughs> like, you know, after all these years. <laughs> all right, Kevin. So let's go back to basics. Where did you grow up? Well, I grew up in a small, tiny village in the middle of nowhere in Ireland. And not like a cool middle of nowhere village, like you know, you might see in a movie or a documentary where it's all like stone walls and little thatch cottages. I just grew up in a small, little, tiny village in a kind of crappy part of the country where there wasn't really much going on, called Delvin in County Westmeath. Like, wait, Delvin, like the verb. Like like the verb with the G dropped off. Oh, like we'll, we'll delve into this, like or no, not not that, no, or not Irish independent wrestler Jordan Devlin, which is D E V L I N. It was D E L V I N or Super Delphin. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it's also an Irish. If you're interested, the name of the village is Jalvnamore, which translates to Big Delvin, which I think <laughs> is the most ridiculous thing ever. Uh, Delvin is a very small village. It's not really changed much in the last. 28 or so years and uh, it had a population of maybe around like a thousand it's now around two thousand i think thereabouts was famous for having a disgruntled writer write a book about how shit life was there (laughs) called the valley of the squinting windows and i'm proud to say that my village held a book burning for the very book the valley of the squinting windows how dare the man how dare the man draw attention to this place so yeah i grew up kind of in the middle of nowhere that was 30 minutes from the next bit of middle of nowhere okay (laughs) i can't believe they burned the book that's kind of amazing yeah i know book burnings they thought, I think people thought that book burnings went out in like the, the 50s. No, they were alive and well as, as late as the 60s and 70s in Big Delvin. <laughs> How dare you accurately describe our misery into the fire with you. How dare you satirize us. <laughs> we're not figures of fun. <laughs> well, in this tiny thousand person Delvin tenant, what was the Irish name again, sorry? Jalvna Moore. Which sounds like you're just not going to jalve anymore. <laughs> No, I'm just making funny noises over here. I'm just, you know, pulling the wool over your eyes. Silly rubes don't know the Irish language, you know. Indeed. I, I can say I, I can speak English and French, a tiny bit of Arabic, some broken Spanish, but Irish was not on the syllabus in Fredericton, New Brunswick. Unbelievable. What's this world coming to, huh? So in, in this t- a tiny village, what sort of kid were you? I was a bit of a weird kid. I know that's probably you know, a bit of a cop-out answer. But, like, I was a really, like, hyper, hyper kid, like, up until the age of 
around 10 or 11 i was really really hyper like fucking bouncing off the walls like literally you know i early memories i have are like insisting on doing you know karaoke with my dad when i was like five years old (laughs) or like if there was sight or sound of a dance floor when i was like six i'd be like all over that shit Um, i went to like summer camps and annoyed everyone i was one of those kids who probably annoyed everyone in school but thought school was awesome because i just you know ran around you know doing shit and thinking that everyone was like a character in a sitcom that i had written you know it was a, i was quite like even though i was very outgoing and very you know all up in everyone's face i was also probably not very in touch with what was going on around me i think i had very little kind of concept i think of of my actions on people or or the world around me i was just like a hype a hyper kid bouncing around but around like 10 or 11 i started to kind of toned down a bit i guess i became a little bit more quiet a little bit more bookish a little bit more kind of anxious i guess and things like that so i did kind of change it up a little bit when i was very young i had like blonde hair and i was very hyper and then around 10 or 11 like my hair started becoming brunette and i slowed down a little bit so i'm not sure if there's a connection between those two things but yeah, those are kind of the two halves of me as, as a kid. So it's sort of a reverse Super Saiyan thing where it's like you start out highly energetic and blonde and then slowly return to your normal form. Yeah, instead of like, you know, doing a Kamehameha or whatever it's called, I get like a bag and get sick into it because I'm too scared to go into the big town or anything like that, you know. So, I mean, most of from, you know, 9, 10 onwards, most of it was me getting sick. Like, um, if you've ever listened to Cinema Swirl, my podcast, I just basically every childhood movie memory i have is like me getting sick either going to the movie or coming back from the movie or during the movie in the case of harry potter so i became quite an anxious little kid at at points oh that's too bad so in these times when you were you know wandering off to the cinema when you when you weren't being sick and i don't mean to make light of it but what sort of things were (laughs) oh no please do i do so you can it's all right okay well in these in these films you were going to see what was featuring highly like what was getting your attention really strongly i think the first movie that really truly grabbed me and like made me obsessed beyond belief was uh star wars because i think 1997 you had the the anniversary where they did the first re-release in the cinemas so i have like early memories of going to see those movies because i'd never seen star wars before i had some of the toys and my brother had seen it on video when he was mad young but i'd never seen it myself so i was like really excited and that was something that i was very strong memories of i mean i remember seeing a lot of things like, you know, like batman and a lot of james bond movies i remember seeing you know a lot of jim carrey stuff as well like it's a lot of stuff that i have strong memories of even though i wouldn't necessarily say it's stuff that i like strongly if i never saw a jim carrey movie ever again i don't think like i'd be upset about that but you know a lot a lot of really strong memories of seeing those types of things in the cinema because i think my dad i think one of the main ways that he knew he could kind of interact with with his kids or like you know do stuff with them that was fun was going to the cinema because my dad loved going to the cinema he loved movies and we loved movies so that kind of became quite a strong association i guess with my dad in the cinema it's really cool coming back briefly to the star wars thing see kids back in the day for people like kevin and me you weren't able to just see whatever you wanted whenever you wanted so if something wasn't on television or someone didn't have it at home you just wouldn't get to see these things and i was a bit like you and i had never watched like i'd seen bits of the various star wars 
films. Like I can remember seeing the Millennium Falcon running from TIE fighters and like picking them off through the asteroid field. And I can remember seeing the lightsaber fights and I can remember seeing like the AT-ATs coming across Hoth. But I had never sat down and watched them all until I was maybe 15 and I got mono over the summer and had to spend three days in the hospital. And I then, like there was a, sort of a little media room and they had Tombstone with Kurt Russell and Val Kilmer. <laughs> Classic. And they had the first three Star Wars movies. That was the only tapes that they had. And so I watched those repeatedly. That's good shit, though. I mean, like, if, if they've only got four movies and those are the four, I mean, that's okay. I could do a Desert Island or Mono in the Hospital scenario with those those movies on my belt, I reckon. I mean, what's interesting about, like, being our age and, you know, yeah, not being able to just be like, I want to see something, and you can basically will it into existence mm. with the internet... I mean, for me, a lot of the stuff that I saw as a kid was complete random chance. Like, one of the first earliest movie memories I have is watching Predator. It's like literally oh, wow. my earliest memory when I was like, <laughs> like three years old. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, my dad happened to tape it and then he showed it to me and my brother because he was an idiot, I guess. <laughs> and my brother ran out of the room screaming and I was just like, wow, this is great. I'm three. I may have pissed myself. A pill, whatever, man. That, guy, that guy's got an arm off. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. The, the jungle came alive. So, I mean, I don't Have you ever played Animal Crossing? Because this is an analogy that might be useful if you have. Yes, I have. If, okay. Some of your listeners, if you listen to Animal, if you've played Animal Crossing, this will make sense. Um, if you ever go on Animal Crossing, you know the dump? You walk past the dump. Most days, there's nothing good there. But randomly, holy shit, there's a big leaf there. There's a piece of furniture up in this, and it's really cool. That was basically my dad. Because my dad had around 100,000 blank VHSs on him at any given point in time. And my dad had very little jurisdiction in the house except for one thing. Bins and the VHS player. And he would videotape everything. There was a movie on, he'd videotape it. If there was a TV show on, he'd, vid- he'd videotape everything. So every day I would come down and there would be basically a dump, a trash yard full of random videos. <laughs> but now and then there might be some gold there. Like for instance, I saw The Big Lebowski when I was like seven or eight because my dad just <laughs> randomly taped it. He thought, oh, a comedy, Jeff Bridges. I know him from Tombstone. Sure, I'll videotape this. And then I get to watch... The Big Lebowski. So a lot of my early... Like Fargo as well was exactly the same way. I saw that when I was way, way young because my dad randomly videotaped it. So I really am thankful that even though I didn't have the internet when I was younger, I did have a man in his 40s with a lot of fucking VHSs and a commitment to record everything that was broadcast on terrestrial TV. A solid commitment to piracy. Serious, you know? He's doing it for the working man and the working child. (laughs) This is meant after my own heart. I was a, a fiendish video <laughs> pirate as well in my teenage years because I bought a, a second VCR at a yard sale after I'd gotten the hand-me-down one when my parents got a new one. And yeah, I would take, I would usually get three movies to a tape and very, a very complex labeling system. I still have in a box at my mom's house in Winnipeg, Manitoba right now. Probably, probably frozen because things are very cold there. There are some Transformers tapes. That because Transformers would be on at three on the nose, and we would never be home from school in time for that. So my dad would record Transformers for me and Jem for my sister on the same tapes, so that he wouldn't have to change the tape that he put it on for us on Saturday afternoon. Oh, that's amazing! It's this like Machiavellian thing where it's like, okay, you each get a turn for the length of this tape. 
VHS as a parenting tool, basically. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. I will say, though, I mean, you know, there's, you can't go too far with this, you know, because I know someone who had two VHS players and they would they would copy the VHS that they had already copied. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of, you know, we were all having a bit of fun, but you took it too far. Like, I had friends who would record off the radio, you know, with their tape machine. We were all just having fun, but you took it too far, you know? <laughs> so there were boundaries, there were lines in the sand that you did not cross when we were all pirating like mad in the analog age. Yeah, and there were certain times, like, I would be making a tape for some friends, like a cassette tape, and I would be recording off of either off of a CD or another tape, and the end of the side would happen, and the song would cut off, and then you have the decision of, okay, do I start that song over again on the other side, or do I just leave it as this fragment? And for the most part, I would leave it as that fragment, and there are some songs where even now I hear them, and I expect them to cut off just after a certain word, because on that tape, they did. So, Kevin, initially when you wanted to come on, you had suggested you want to talk about point-and-click adventure games. Now, this is a, a genre that I have a lot of fondness for, especially thinking back to when I was a kid and you have that boundless patience to try every item in your inventory against a problem. And just afternoons to while away trying to do this particular thing, which is probably the wrong thing to do. But where did you start with point-and-click adventure games? My earliest memories of point-and-click games, which... To, to, to be honest, I don't think I've ever like enjoyed games as much as I enjoyed point-and-click games when I was a kid. I don't think I ever will. But like my very, very earliest memories would have been maybe I was around five or six, like, or maybe seven, like quite, quite young, and going over to my cousin John's house in County Limerick. Now, cousin John was like way older than me. He was like 10 or 12 years older than me. So he was always someone who was like... When I was growing up, I was like, you know, wow, I'm 10, but he's got a car, whoa, or like, you know, I'm 12, but he's got a job, whoa, and like, I'm 18, but he's got a fucking girlfriend and a wife, whoa, and like, I'm 20, but now he's old and shit, whoa. So, you know, he was always someone I looked up to, and now he's like a reflection on my own mortality, and I get scared when I look at my cousin John now. Sorry, cousin John, but it's true. Well, I went over to his house, and he had Day of the Tentacle. And Cousin John loved computers, and he would, like, have four PCs on the go. And, like, one he was just, like, fucking around with, you know, putting bits together, taking it apart. One he was playing Doom on, and the other one he had gotten Day of the Tentacle. And we were there for, like, a Christmas gathering or something, but all I remember was spending six or seven hours nonstop, me, my brother, and my Cousin John playing Day of the Tentacle, and I thought it was the most amazing thing I'd ever seen. Because I was a big cartoon head, like uh, Cartoon Network I was obsessed with as a kid. I would watch like four or five hours of cartoons a day, and I love cartoons. I've watched, you know, cartoons my entire life as a result, like. But my God, it was like a living, breathing cartoon. And you interacted with that cartoon, and it had its own stupid, annoying dynamics. And if stuff worked, it was because it was stupid and off the wall, and it was so funny. And if stuff didn't work, it was because, you know, you just couldn't think in that weird cartoon way. And I just, I adored it. It absolutely struck a chord with me. And a few years later, I think it was maybe two or three years later, my brother for my birthday got me a LucasArts twin pack, and I had Day of the Tentacle and Sam and Max Hit the Road. Now, Sam and Max had a TV show, a cartoon on Fox Kids at the time, and I had watched a few episodes, and I loved it because it was, you know, anarchic and strange and weird (laughs) and off the wall. And then it was like, by the way, you know that game that you love and have fond memories of? Uh, Yeah, they've also made a Sam and Max one of it, and it's even better than Day of the Tentacle. So I basically spent four years of my life then 
religiously playing Sam and Max Hit the Road, trying to beat it without using a guide because that was cheating. Mm -hmm. And I was like always stuck, constantly. You know, glacier pace I was making. It took me years to beat it. Day of the Tentacle, I remember I had a lot of upstart, you know, help from my cousin because I played it through with him, so I knew a lot of the stuff. I got that completed in maybe a year. But Sam and Max Hit the Road took up a huge chunk of my life. And from there, I just realized that those were my favorite types of games. And I went and I purchased pretty much every LucasArts point-and-click game I could get my hands on. You know, also expanding out and getting things like I Have No Mouth and Yeah, I Must Scream oh, and geez. Broken Sword. Oh, you know, if it was point and click and it was animated, in my mind it meant that it was the best ever. Like, games couldn't approach this. And I actually shied away from most other video games as a result. I mean, I didn't start playing, like, you know, action games until I got, like, a GameCube in, like, 2002 or something like that. You know, I remember, like, Resident Evil, the remake in the GameCube, was the first violent game that i remember playing as a result because i was just obsessed with point and click games it's it's funny because as, as you say it like that i'm just thinking that you know if you're starting with a point and click game where the possibilities are literally endless you can do just about anything to just about anything and as such that forms kind of how you approach a game in a certain way and i think stepping from that into a genre like an action game or a shooter would seem really reductive you know? Yeah, it's like, and it's like less fun as well, you know, because like when you fail in a point and click game, particularly a lot of those LucasArts ones, <laughs> you know, there's there's a humor to it. I mean, a really strong memory I have is, you know, in Sam and Max, when you try and combine two items, and, Sa- and Sam goes, I can't use these things together. And then, like, you try and use it on something else, he goes, No, that doesn't work. He's like, No, really, it doesn't work. Like, listen to me, it doesn't, and you keep going. And he's like, Nine lines of dialogue in it. And it ends in him starting to cry and then Max going, can you not just leave him alone? You're making him upset. Whereas like, in, you know, I'm really playing like Resident Evil and it's like, instead of that, I get eaten by a dog and my throat ripped out. And I'm like, that's not fun. That's made, that's making me sad. Now I can't sleep. <laughs> I, I was just thinking of, because my point and click adventure game started with Sierra. In, I was doing ah, yes. the King's Quest series. And then later, uh, briefly, Space Quest and Police Quest. And they all had really punishing ways of just you know deciding if you've done something that that thing is stupid and you're going to die in a really embarrassing way like my favorite two were where it was in i think it was space quest 2 where you kind of you start off in your in your flat and you're sort of wandering around and oh you can read a letter that's on the desk and you can look in the fridge you can get dressed and then you go outside and you die immediately because you haven't put on a spacesuit. Ah, yes. Learning things the hard way, like. <laughs> yeah. And the other one was, was in Police Quest, where if you crossed the road without typing, look both ways, you would be run over by a car and killed. Game over. Start from the beginning. Yeah, I always found, like, Sierra were really cruel that way, that they would kill you, whereas LucasArts games would rarely kill you. I think you could die in Monkey Island in one or two of the Indiana... I remember when I first played one of the Indiana Jones games, and there was, like, a Nazi with a submachine gun, and there was, like, a dialogue option. I'm like, well, whatever, like, what are you going to do? Kill me? And then he kills me, and I'm like, what happens? Like, a Nazi shot me! It was like, you know, didn't expect that to happen, but, like, I actually shied away from a lot of the Sierra games because they were so cruel like they were cruel in a different way it was cruel in like you lost progress and you had to think about your mistake as opposed to you know dwelling on it and trying loads of other different things it was a death by a different form I guess in the LucasArts ones where it was just like you would give up hope and 
you know, throw your hands in the air, whereas Sierra <laughs> would just kill you any chance they got. Yeah, it, the, the other one I remember is, again, this is more at a friend's house than at my house, is that he had The Adventures of Willy Beamish, which is a point-and-click adventure game, which is, again, it's, it's a fairly grounded one where you know, you're sort of a kid and you've got a pet frog. And, and there was at one point where you had, there was a gang in front of you and you were next to a fire hydrant and in your inventory was a ninja star, a, a smoke bomb, and a wrench. If you tried to use any one of those things, it would do something and then it would look like it would have won. And then the gang would rush in and beat you up, and that would be the end of the game. So what? It, like you'd, you'd use the wrench on the fire hydrant, and it would spray the gang, and they would get mad and attack you. If you tried to leave, they would get mad and attack you. If you threw a ninja star, the leader would catch it and say, wrong move, kid, and they'd beat you up. What it turned out to be, I actually went, like honestly, years later in the nascent internet and looked up what the solution was. And it was something to the effect of you had to do those things in sequence. You had to throw the star to get his attention, immediately drop the smoke bomb, and then spray them with the hydrant. And I'm like, I sat there at my friend Jason's house for two hours trying, like, maybe if we, no, maybe we just weren't fast enough. Maybe we could, like, hitting our heads against that rock in 500 different ways, hoping that 501 would get us through. I mean, I'm always amazed by, like, the amount of patience these games managed to instill in in me as a kid and a lot of my friends because i'd be like hey you want to come around to my house we'll play full throttle like yeah awesome let's go play full throttle load up our cool music title screen press load games what are we doing well i have to get gasoline i think out of this car (laughs) and i don't know how oh okay it's like oh it's five hours later it's time to go home all right see you tomorrow bye (laughs) and we would just sit there kind of trying everything like no that didn't work no that didn't work I was stuck on that one puzzle for over a year. Oh, that wow. one puzzle, oh, wow. over a year. And I, I actually even, around the six-month point, I cracked. And I went online and I was like, right, I'm going to get a fucking guide because I'm sick of this. I'll only get the guide up until the point I need it and that'll be fine. And you know, I deal with dot matrix printing. <laughs> going on for like a year. What are you doing? Are you printing out? Like, it's really important, ma'am, okay? It's really important. I need to go on the internet to get this one thing. And then uh, it said, and it's, Use your lips on the gas tank and you'll get the gasoline. I was like, oh, okay then. And I sat there going, what do you mean use my lips on it? There's no use my lips on it. I spent another three months banging my head against the wall, trying like everything in the game, every scenario, because there was like an alarm in there. So I go over, I press the alarm and then I try and use every item on the gas tank. What you were meant to do was talk to the gas tank. What? Because that used what? your... Yeah, you talk to the gas tank because the, you know, the seeing or talking or touching, it came up as like, you know, the five senses on your interface. Mm. So you were meant to know because the mouth was talking that also maybe it could be used to put your mouth on something, put your lips on the gas tank, and that's how you got the gas out of it. It was irritating as fuck, <laughs> but I kept coming back to it. There are games I play now, and if one thing doesn't go my way, I'm like, no, no, fuck it, not playing anymore. (laughs) You know, literally one mistake. I'm playing Stardew Valley at the moment. I'm obsessed with it. I fucking love it. I absolutely adore it. We've clocked like 120 hours on it, me and Joe. And like literally the other day, one thing went didn't go my way. I'm like, I'm not playing, fuck it, no. Like one (laughs) thing went wrong. I forgot an item. I was like, I'm not spending five minutes walking back. Fuck this. I'm not playing anymore. I'm going to go do something else. And like, if, if I'm like that now, I can't imagine what it's like for kids these days. Like, they, I don't know if anyone would have the patience for a point and click 
these days without you know help or a guide or hints or something like that yeah i mean like most of these games didn't even have a tutorial so you'd have to essentially learn by doing and i remember specifically in in one of the king's quest games i think it was king it was four or five whichever one had gideon as the protagonist and like playing it and playing a very staid game and i would you know walk a little ways and then check everything and then one of my dad's friends was like, oh, are you playing that? I'm playing that too. Have you fought the pirates with the, the knife that you have? And I'm like, what? what? <laughs> you could, <laughs> there are pirates in this game? I've just been wandering around, like, you know, picking flowers and, like, getting quests and stuff. <laughs> Didn't even know you could fight. I'll tell you another thing about, like, they're not telling you how to play the game. I'll tell you the real, the real pre-game rumble, okay, a game within a game, is figuring out how to get the fucking thing to work on your computer. Because it's back in the days where it's like, I got Windows 95, I got this disc, I have to launch MS-DOS. Okay, I'll do that. And then I have to figure out how what my sound card is. And, uh, yes, sound what my blaster video blaster settings blaster were. The first week I got uh, Sam and Max Hit the Road off my brother for my birthday. The first week of playing it, I played it obsessively. I had no sound. Because I just assumed there was no dialogue in it. I had music. I had sound effects. I had no voice, though. It just had the subtitles. And I thought, well, that's okay, because you know, Monkey Island 1 and 2 didn't have voices originally. They just had subtitles. So I assumed Day of the Tentacle was a unique snowflake in the sense that it was the one that had voices. They can't all be Day of the Tentacle. And then my brother came in, and he was like, oh, no, seriously, look, check this out. And he went into DOS, and he went into the settings, and he changed or sound blaster settings or whatever the fuck it was. And then all of a sudden, oh my god, I've got voice! This game's even more amazing now! I've got, <laughs> what dialogue? They're saying the thing! There are sound effects in... Oh my god! You know, it was like, how could that be? You could actually buy a game in a shop and play it and it not have the voices. And that can happen for a full week. <laughs> Can you imagine if you downloaded something off Steam or the PlayStation Network or, you know, the Nintendo eShop and it's like, yeah, there's no voices. You haven't done it right. You've not purchased it properly. It's not went on to your system correctly. You know, like, I think I take so much of that for granted now. And like the point and click ones were particularly hard because I remember, you know, when I got Windows 98 then, a lot of my games, it was really hard to get them to play. And, mm -hmm. you know, once I got onto XP... I remember being really sad because I couldn't play so many of my old favorite games anymore. And it wasn't, you know, the recent rash of stuff being re-released and good old games and Steam kind of bringing them back out. I was able to enjoy these games again. And it was really sad for like 10 years of my life not being able to play those games because I was never like a tech kid. I was never like, oh, I'll just, you know, hook up a rig that's got MS-DOS. I will in my fucking hole. Like, you know, I've got XP. That's what I'll deal with. When I put in the disc, it says, you can't play the favorite game anymore, so I couldn't do it. So, you know, there was a lot more going into those games back then, I guess. It was a mighty struggle to even play the thing. I think that's also why that when you when you did hook into a game, you would lock into that game for however long it took. I can say with hand on heart, I played Age of Mythology and Command and Conquer Generals until I finally got a system that was too advanced to play them. Yeah, because they were like board games. You had a real sense of ownership. And like, you know, Day of the Tentacle, Sam and Max, and Broken Sword, Monkey Island, they all came in these big fucking cardboard boxes that had all the discs and the manuals. They were, it was a real like tangible thing i always remember the lounge where we had it we had like a shelf and it had like you know six or seven big boxes and these were 
the games and you had a real sense of ownership and pride for those you there's no way you're going to play them for five minutes and go ah fuck it, i'll do something else you bought the game you installed the game it's on your shelf it's in a big box you are going to commit to that game even if you hate it I got the dig, for instance, another LucasArts point and click. Mm-hmm. It was hard, and it was not a comedy game. It was a straight up sci-fi mystery in space. And I maybe got past the third or fourth screen on it when I was a kid. It was so fucking hard, but I never gave up on it because I had, you know, I'd got it. I had this connection. You know, it was a it was a point and click game. It was a LucasArts game. I worked on it. I had to, you know, finish it all the way through really really like with these point and click games always had that sense of you have to finish it because you started it yeah i'm just looking at pictures of the dig now because it's one i hadn't heard of yeah it's oddly realistic looking along the lines of like a full throttle in that it was not primarily trying to be funny but it didn't go really for much cartooniness or anything like that it went kind of it was probably the darkest lucas arts point and click game i could think of it was more akin to like a something like Aliens or something like that, you know, or, or Alien, I should say, probably more accurate, like kind of a chilling sci-fi adventure. But I think, honestly, though, even though I love The Dig, I love Full Throttle, and I love, you know, Indiana Jones and, and you know, whatnot, I really think the real strength of those point-and-click games was always their ability to make me laugh. I think Grim Fandango is one of the funniest things ever. I think for Grim Fandango, I don't think there's anything funnier than that sometimes i just think it's just this higher level of comedy i think like some of the humor in like day of the tentacle i got the remastered version recently Mm -hmm. it still makes me laugh like nothing else and i really always have this opinion because i spent so much of my time my podcast looking back at movies i watched as a kid or wrestling i watched as a kid or you know stuff when you were younger if it genuinely makes you bust your gut laughing when you were like eight years old and when you're like 28 years old there's something special about that media. You know, there's something special about that writing, that humor. Because if it can go through time and space and you changing as a person, it still tickles you in that way. Well, then there's something special about that, I think. Yeah, totally. Even just taking that and taking it one step further and saying that, I don't know if you're this way, but I'm, I accept that I am that kind of person. That occasionally I will show someone a film or a game or something that I really, really like. And I'm going to show it to them. And I do that asshole thing that you're not supposed to do, which is where you show it to them, and then you watch them because you want to see if they're going to react. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like it's in, in my darkest moments, I will accept that I am one of these people. I'm getting better. I've gotten better than when I was younger. But it is amazing to, even out of the corner of your eye, like my girlfriend watched Goodfellas for the first time, like last year, and had never sat down and watched it. And I watched that movie dozens of times because it was one of my dad's favorites and so it was on all the time and i remember listening to a podcast about it and thinking i'm gonna get it like it's it's like 10 bucks for the blu-ray i'm gonna get it and we'll watch it tonight and like you know we made pasta and we had a glass of red wine and i'm like yep we'll sit down and watch goodfellas and watching like tension in some of the moments build it's this beautiful thing where you think okay it's not just that i love this thing because i've seen it dozens of times because i know it inside and out or because it won an oscar or whatever it's this is a, an affecting film, and it's causing that. And as, even with, and I've, I've, I'm guilty of this as well, I had never seen Major League until last month, and then sitting down and watching it. And again, my girlfriend comes from a family who are baseball mad. Like, her brother played at the state level, so they watched that movie dozens of times. And me trying to call to her in the other room going, oh, you won't believe what's happening, this is really funny. And her going, yes, 
Yes, I know. I have seen this film before. With like the point and click games, I like I've done that recently with like with particularly with Joe because she hadn't played a lot of the LucasArts ones. She had played a lot of King's Quest and stuff growing up. Mm-hmm. But when the remastered, you know, Day of the Tentacle came out and the remastered Grim Fandango came out, we got them, and I was like, you know, let's play them and. You know, I won't tell you the solutions to the puzzles. I'll give you a hint if you want. And honestly, it was so much more fun than if I played them myself. Because just seeing someone go through the process of trying to come to grips with whatever the hell Tim Schafer was trying to allude to with his really obtuse clues <laughs> and you know, laced with humor and jokes. I mean, I do think you can be that person if you're going to show someone, particularly like a series or a comedy. I always find it with a comedy or a, or a comedy movie or a show or even a bit of stand-up and they show it to you and then like when the funny bit happens, you look over at them like, ha, 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 why aren't you laughing? And that's like, <laughs> I, I hate that because, you know, my my brother had a housemate who was obsessed with, you know, Spaced and all the Simon Pegg stuff. Uh, and my brother yeah. pretty much hated Spaced and Simon Pegg for many years solely because... His housemate at the time insisted on showing him all the episodes and every time be like, ha, 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 see, I'm laughing. This is the bit that is funny. And it just comes across as weird because you've seen it like 90 times. You're laughing at the bits. You're trying to do it like it's a fucking cue. And then there's something wrong if we don't laugh at the exact same moment, the exact same time. Mm -hmm. But doing it with a game, particularly one where it's a puzzle and there's no like, oh, watch out for that guy. Or, oh, no, you didn't do that thing in time. Oh, you're dead. Sorry. You're not skilled enough at, you know, the button pressing or the timing. It's just like, it's a puzzle. Let's sit back and try and figure it out. Let's enjoy the music. Let's enjoy the the ambiance, the weird jokes, the funny visuals. What can we do here? Let's look at our items. And like, that's, honestly, that's the best thing ever. If you are looking to experience those games again, even more so than play them yourself, find someone who you really think will enjoy them. Don't be the guy who's like telling them everything. Mm-hmm. Don't be the person who's like, oh, well, it's obviously this. Because <laughs> nothing in a point and click game is obvious. Oh, obviously you're meant to wash the wagon back in the siding of the Declaration of Independence to make it rain and make lightning happen to charge your super battery. <laughs> obviously. <laughs> you can't. You, oh, you can't do that. And I remember there was a few times in like... Sam and Max particularly when Joe played that and she was like so what is it I have to do here now and I'm like I don't know if I can give you a hint without just telling it to you because it is so obtuse mm-hmm. there's no way I can point you in a direction because it's there's no way you will arrive at this direction unless you're like me you spent five years trying to figure it out and we've not got five years at the moment because <laughs> you mentioned tim schaefer and i and i pulled up his wikipedia because i'm like i'm trying to remember which one what was the i was trying to remember the name of broken age absolutely love 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 yeah. that and yeah. and a nice kind of flip of that whole dynamic of me showing joe all of the the classic games she was actually a backer on kickstarter when broken age first oh, wow. you know kicked off and you know i never paid attention to kickstarter i was very cynical about it so i didn't you know there was so many games on people that were back on kickstarter and i'd heard so many horror stories i just assumed that nothing ever good will ever happen from kickstarter and how wrong was i because joe then showed me broken age i was like oh my god it's a love letter to my childhood it's like everything that i love about it modernized glossed up that's a fucking great game broken age yeah and if the, one of the reasons I was laughing, I decided to bring it up, was that I was looking through and I'm like, okay, yeah, there's Grim Fandango, there's Psychonauts, there's Day of the Tentacle, there's Monkey Island. And right in the middle is Star Wars Shadows of the Empire, 1996. And I went, and I went what? And then I looked at the actual credit that he had. Everywhere else it's, you know, co-designer, co-producer, playtester, 
design project leader. And then next to Shadows of the Empire, it's, quote, never actively tried to sabotage the project, end quote. (laughs) (laughs) I got this amazing LucasArts coffee table book a few years ago for Christmas for my family. It's absolutely amazing. It kind of charts LucasArts as a studio and the kind of the original ideals behind it and it is both an amazing look at what a creative bunch they had there and how they were really changing what it was games could be and using properties like Indiana Jones and Star Wars in like really amazing ways and I always get a little bit sad I mean everyone landed on their feet and you know Tim Schafer is doing quite well and Double Fine has done very very well and you know Telltale kind of spun off from some of those people as well Mm -hmm. but I always do get a bit sad when I see LucasArts and I flick through that book and it starts off at the start with all these amazing thought-provoking point-and-click games and then it just kind of divulges into, you know, Shadows of the Empire and really shitty Star Wars tie-in games that were really just thoroughly rubbish. You know, it's kind of sad that there isn't, like, you know, more big companies that are pushing out this kind of a stuff anymore. You know, because I think... I don't know what you feel, but Telltale Games, it ain't point and click. You know, it's not proper point and click, is it? I play those games and I don't get anything from those original games. I mean, I get something else from them. I do. I love the Telltale Games, but they're not point and click adventures. They're not puzzles. You're, they're not. Yeah. You're, uh, you're right. I, I think they're a different animal entirely. And while they're, they're doing their own thing, I mean, the, minute, the first time you play a Walking Dead game and you make a decision... And the game tells you that this person will remember that. And that feeling of, oh, oh, my, my choices have consequences. Oh, my God. I kind of feel oh like almost like they themselves have realized that they're not that anymore. Because when Telltale first launched, they did Sam and Max season you know, one, two, and three. They relaunched Sam and Max. And I was mm-hmm. like, holy shit, Sam and Max point and click on my Xbox 360 yes please and then you know they did the monkey island remakes mm. and all that you know and then you know the monkey island tales from monkey island episodic and it's just like now it's you know minecraft batman game of thrones i think they're almost saying yeah it's an interactive story it's an interactive novella if you could almost call it that mm-hmm. it ain't a point and click game you are not going to spend five years traveling between locations figuring out what of your many hundreds of items are going to fit to solve the puzzle that you don't even know what the puzzle is you know <laughs> that ain't gonna happen with a telltale game no and and i think i think like what you were saying before it's it's essentially if you're a game company it's a question of whether you want to give the benefit of the doubt to a modern audience that they will just like we said you know spend their hours banging their head against that rock without a tutorial without these things to guide them without you know a blinking thing on your map telling you where to go really i think that's why that's why you know the, the Double Fine stuff ha- was such a gamble. And it's like, well, look, you know, we need to see there's an audience before we can produce this because, you know, they're, like, nobody will back us on this. And, of course, it turned out to make an amazing game. But so I think there is something to that. I mean, like, c- the only thing I can compare it to is when I was playing Fallout 3 for the first time. And I was working in a call center, and so I had a bunch of other nerds around me that were also playing it but they were playing it differently to me. 
and and so all the conversations over the coffee machine or whatever was oh did you find this thing the answer was almost always no because the game was so big and so you got these stories oh yes and i snuck in to do this and because i had this equipment i could fast talk the guard and i was able to uh, actually get a peaceful resolution to this or and someone else was like really i just reverse pickpocketed a grenade onto him and he blew up as i walked away and it's just this idea of it's it, of okay i'm going to give you everything that you want like the entire world, all the options available to you, it's now up to you to choose what you're going to do. And I think also with that, I mean, I can remember talking to people when Skyrim came out, and they were saying, yeah, it didn't. I didn't really like the story mode, so I, did, I kind of messed around, I did a few things, but then I just stopped playing because it's like there's so much to do, and I'm never going to do it all. Yeah, overwhelming kind of almost. Yeah, it's that opportunity cost. By doing one thing, I'm skipping something else. Yeah, and I mean, I think, you know, what, what was nice about those early LucasArts games in particular is that you were confined, but you also had many options. You had kind of a vague goal, but there were like 10 places you could go. You had 20 objects at any given time. And because of the rules of the world were always kind of suspect or strange or hard to figure out, you were always kind of confined, yet you had the freedom not necessarily to go and do loads of different things but you had the freedom to try and figure it out like the whole game was like a big kind of scribble box trying to you know put some things together and what i've loved going back and playing some of the update versions of the games um where tim schaefer and co have done some commentary on it oh wow and they're like they're trying to explain in it going well with this puzzle here we've actually went if you go back you listen to this joke we made earlier this comment we made earlier it is actually telling you why you should do this this particular action like for instance in day ten, the tentacle i talked about you know washing the the, the wagon to make it rain mm-hmm. and i was like that's so, uh, for like literally 20 years of my life and i was like that's fucking stupid <laughs> and this year i played it and tim schaefer on the commentary is like well if you go back to the present time there's a car in the spot where the wagon is in the future sorry in the past and that car is dirty and it says wash me and if you attempt to wash it Bernard, the character you play as, goes, I'd wash it, but it'll only start raining. And you're meant to use that as your clue oh to go in the God. past to make it rain and make it thunder. And I'm like, <laughs> motherfucker! God damn it! You know? I'm like, I, I'm a, I'm, I don't say I'm a maths nerd, but like, I've always, like, maths was one of my pre- subjects I, I liked at school, and it's something that I'm, you know, I, I understand a lot of people have difficulty with math, and I think I'm fortunate that a lot of it makes sense to me. And I don't want to be like a weirdo and credit Tim Schafer or LucasArts or Point and Click Games for making me good at math. But in terms of presenting you with a set of rules, which may not make sense at the start, but then kind of almost forcing you to just go, look, look, take it for granted. These are the rules and figure it out, even if you don't know what those rules mean. And we'll get there in the end. And that really actually always found, helped me in math, like in Monkey Island, the whole dynamic of using this, the sword fight and you having to respond to a certain quip with another quip and that's how it all worked. I spent like months on that as a kid kind of going, I don't know, I just, I can't do that bit. It's a fighting bit. I don't like fighting. I won't do that bit. You know, and then realizing, you know, later, like actually, no, there's a logic here. There's rules. There's a sequence. I can follow this if I maybe put pen to paper, you know? Mm-hmm. And I love that. Games that make you take out a pen and paper, that's always golden. I was, I was just thinking that, actually. I was, like As you were saying that, I'm thinking, yeah, it's like you'd make a list in your notebook of, you know, on graph paper, like drawing out the, the ways you've gone or the list of items and stuff. So, yeah, that's, a, that's something that um, 
although again coming back to Skyrim when my girlfriend was playing it on her Xbox I remember coming over when we were first dating and I'd see a sheet of paper with potion ingredients written down <laughs> I'm like ah it's got you now <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was funny because me and Joe were like trying to think, oh, what are our favorite games of the last year that we've played? And I was like, you know what? If we go back and we look at the ones, the notebooks that we have, and it's like Fallout 4, <laughs> The Witness, Stardew Valley. These are all the ones that have lengthy, detailed notes and, mm-hmm. you know, ideas and things we need to remember or try to figure out. And like, that's always, that's a deeper level of play, I think. Absolutely. You've now said enough. I'm now looking up Stardew Valley. Oh, seriously, if you want to lose your entire life, <laughs> Stardew Valley, seriously, it's the way to go. So if there was something that was sort of a, a, a weird and interesting thing that you think you might remember that might strike a chord with, let's say, one special person out there who's listening, what do you think it would be? I would say there was one particular point-and-click game which remains kind of shrouded under big piles of dust and mystery and doesn't seem to be re-released or no one ever seems to go on about it, even though, if memory serves me, it was one of the best fucking games I ever played, which was the Blade Runner point-and-click game, which was amazing. It was FMV, had 3D graphics, it was set in the same world concurrently to the events of Blade Runner. It was on, like, nine discs, it was one of the first ever games I played that had multiple endings and like the endings were wildly varying like you could end up being a replicant as a result of things or you could end up like killing all the replicants it was absolutely incredible I remember one of the saddest moments of my life was that we played that game so much and then like we got a new computer we thought we'd figured out a way to play it and we took it out me and my brother and the discs were literally worn down because oh, no. we played it so yeah. much and because it was such an intense game it made our computer run hot and literally the discs had started to melt and had all like deformations on them so at home we still have the Blade Runner game but all the discs are literally like turned to crap and <laughs> I sit kind of hoping and waiting because I mean it seems like every game I love from that time point and click has gotten a HD remake I mean like me and Joe are playing Broken Sword 2 on her iPad at the moment and I just think that's amazing because that was another great game from my childhood but Blade Runner still seems to be a little bit forgotten and with the new movie coming out this year I'm kind of hoping that maybe someone will shake the dust off that and I won't just have to get sad every time I see my Blade Runner DVDs when I'm back my Blade Runner discs when I'm back home in Ireland (laughs) (laughs) I've just looked up the cover art for that game and it is amazing and you're sort of this generic 90s dude with with peter falk trench coat and a big collar and yeah you've got the gun and i'm looking through some of the screenshots and this is amazing oh it is unbelievable if you're a remotely a blade runner fan try and find it i mean i said i'm no tech head at all okay so i don't know how to to get these games working on new machines and stuff but yeah absolutely brilliant brilliant stuff you've got like all the scenes and settings from the movie the music is in there as well oh it's just absolutely beautiful it's really really great and you get you know freedom to explore you can go down to chinatown you can go to you know the the, the factories you can go oh it's just brilliant it's really really well done well, there you go. See, next thing you know, that cyberpunk game is coming out. They're going to be just like, oh, yeah, by the way, it's a remake of the Blade Runner point and click. Just do it. Uh, unless you hate money, okay? <laughs> but wouldn't, it be, wouldn't it be horrible if Harrison Ford didn't live to see the Blade Runner game get remade? Wouldn't that be a shame? <laughs> I just put a time limit on the game now. That's what I've done. Although, if this guy was tuned to the color of a dead channel on modern TVs, the dead channels are blue. Just saying. <laughs> just saying. <laughs> 
All right, Kevin. So I suppose we'll wrap it up. If people wanted to find your stuff on the internet, where would they go about doing so? Well, you can follow me on the Twitter, at Kevin Mahan, with an F, not a V. And I also, as I mentioned earlier, host the Attitude Era podcast, where myself, Adam, and Billy look back at all the pay-per-views of the Attitude Era and beyond. We are at AE Podcast. You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and also you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Podcast. Cinema Swirl, which I do with my good friend Sam, where we look back at all the movies he's not seen. Stuff like Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, Terminator, etc. We go back and watch all of those old movies and see what his thoughts are. And seeing like what it's like you know, for someone who didn't check those out as a kid to watch them with modern, cynical eyes. That's at Cinema Swirl. And again, available on iTunes, SoundCloud, on Stitcher. And how to wrestling. If you want to get into the world of wrestling, if you are listening to this and you think, hey, that guy sounds funny. Maybe I should like the thing that he's weirdly obsessed with. <laughs> then you can listen to how to wrestling, where I introduce my partner Joe to the fabulous and weird world of professional wrestling. At how to wrestling on Twitter. You can find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, and on Stitcher, and Patreon.com forward slash How to Wrestling if you want to support. Excellent. And I am a Patreon backer of How to Wrestling, he said proudly. I may have done it just because you said you didn't have a Bret Hart episode in the pipe. Oh, we do now. (laughs) You do now. (laughs) Although you did do the Owen Hart one, which made my heart very happy. Oh, that was terrible. Yeah, it made my heart very sad to do it, but it was, you know, it was one of those things where I was like, I'm really sad, but I think people will enjoy that I'm sad, so it's okay. Yeah, and, and I certainly did enjoy that episode. It was, you, you handled it very well. Thank you, that means a lot. Thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been an absolute blast. It's been lovely being here. Uh, it's, it, I love the idea of the math of you. I think it's a fantastic podcast concept. It's, it's brilliant. I think it's a really cool thing that you're doing, Lucas. Oh, thanks, man. That makes me feel good. Thank you very much to Kevin Mann for his time. For his signature cocktail, Kevin suggested a white Russian variant, which is very near and dear to my heart. You see, kids, coming back to young Lucas's university drinking adventures, the white Russian was the pour into an empty Pepsi bottle and bring in a taxi cab drink of choice. Look, look, I, I, I accept it. Yeah, that, <laughs> it was dumb. It was really dumb. But that does not change the fact that a white Russian is a tasty beverage. That said, though, a white Russian is a little simple for the Math of You signature cocktail, so I'm going to kick it up a notch. I present the Dingo Hunter. In a large glass with ice, layer the following. One ounce of vodka. One ounce of coffee liqueur. You can use Kahlua, but if you can, look for Illy or Mr. Black, which are cold drip coffee liqueurs, and they taste a little bit smoother. One ounce of Bailey's Irish Cream and one ounce of creme de cacao. For a slightly different flavor, you can substitute coconut rum for the creme de cacao. Pour two and a half ounces of milk or cream over the back of a spoon to achieve a nice layered effect. Top with some freshly grated nutmeg and serve. The weed of crime bears bitter fruit, but it makes a pretty good cocktail. Have one of these and you'll be looking hale and hearty like a coffee achiever. Enjoy.
The Math Review is recorded in Leichhardt, New South Wales, Australia, and is written, hosted, and edited by yours truly, Lucas Brown. New episodes are posted every Wednesday, and if you'd like to be a guest on the show, simply send an email to themathofyou at gmail.com and tell us what you'd like to talk about. You can follow the show on Twitter at themathofyou, and you can follow my wacky adventures at Lokified, L-O-K-I-F-I-E-D, on Twitter and Instagram, and Lokified82 on Snapchat. Fair warning, recent Snapchats have been mostly complaining about the weather because it's been really, really hot. If you have a few dollars kicking around and would like to directly support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash and commit as little as a dollar a month, or as much as you want. You could do a million bucks if you want. Every little bit helps and goes to support the show and its running expenses, and I would really, really appreciate it. If you'd like to support non-monetarily, you can head on over to iTunes and give a five-star rating. You can also leave a review, and I'll read it out on the show. Won't that be nice? If you'd like the music I play on the show, you can go to bit.ly slash themathofyou, with capitals at the beginning of each word, and subscribe to the Math of You's Spotify playlist. It has all the tracks going back to the very first episode, including this one, which is Skyrunner from Earthbound, as played by Donut Drums. I update this playlist every week when a new episode drops, so don't miss it. Next week, my guest will be Helena Hart, co-host of the Journey into Misery podcast and host of the Animal Crackers podcast, to talk about Steve Irwin and really just animals in general. There's a lot of animal talk in the next one. Prepare yourselves. Join me, won't you? Okay, hi. How's it going? It's going well. How are you? Oh, not too bad. It is the end of a very long day, but I am in the mood to get things done. It's the start of a very long day for me, like, so... (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, yeah, it's early in the morning there. I mean, it's... It's half past eight. It's already gone dark. What, what 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 side of America are you on? I am not in. America. Or are you? You are in America. No. Where I, are you? I am in Australia. Fuck. <laughs> well, be. Hence all the complicated uh, time zone shifting. Yeah. Good lord. Goodness <laughs> gracious. I'd I'd heard your voice and I just ignorantly assumed. I'm all for ignorant assumptions, you say. So <laughs> I should have like smelled a rat because like I was like I didn't want to say actually I think your time zone is wrong there. Uh, it's actually gonna be way <laughs> earlier for you. But um, yeah, wow, okay, so this is weird because I'm in my pajamas and I've just had my morning coffee like and you're eating ice cream at the end of the day. This is weird. <laughs> yeah, I was handed because uh, my girlfriend's she's not working at the moment. So she went shopping during the day and somehow a box of like chocolate and toffee magnums snuck their way into the into the freezer while I was away. And so somehow just as I was like setting up, I was handed a magnum and I'm like, well, I can't not eat it now. It's out of the freezer. We've committed. Well, good job not being, you know, the podcaster who eats a magnum on air, like, you know, just, hey guys, you know, eating a fucking magnum. You know? yeah, say, oh, oh no, I spilled chocolate on my pants. Oh no. <laughs> It'd be terrible. God, well, I've I've just started podcasting full time in this month. Oh, that's excellent. Um, <laughs> I know. I, uh, Quit my job that I was deeply miserable at, and uh, I just started podcasting full time. So you're living the dream. I'm living the dream, yeah. And I've, you know, started Patreon for the SGR podcast, and I've moved closer to, you know, where Adam is in the last few months. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of it was really frustrating for me for the last few, you know, months since I've been here in Manchester 
really wanting to, you know, seeing that we could do more stuff and knowing that we could do things like a Patreon and do more episodes and not being able to because my job was making me miserable and tired and fat and old. So <laughs> I've like, I basically took a bit of a risk, you know, I was like, right, you know, in the new year, I'm going to make a whirl of this. And Joe has been massively helpful, motivating me because... I was like, well, if we set up a Patreon theater a podcast, we might get like, I don't know, a hundred quid in six months. And <laughs> we've gotten like, we've got nearly 300 backers already in less than a month. So Wow, that's great. I, I don't want to be the saddo in his late 30s kind of going, oh, I wish I should have tried doing that thing that I love. So instead, I'm the saddo in his late 20s going, I'm trying the thing that I love. So it's, it's exciting for me at the moment. It's weird, actually, this being my full responsibility now as opposed to finding moments here and there you know pretending to be correcting students work in class while i'm actually researching you know old wrestling observer newsletters <laughs> <laughs> you know i can only keep that charade up for so long you know <laughs> looking, looking for that black and white picture where cactus jack got stabbed by a fork by a bill of the butcher <laughs> yeah pretty much <laughs> whereas instead i'm still in that i'm basically working in an office 40 hours a week and editing the podcast on the train to and from. The issue is I used to do it in my lunch break as well. I would either, you know, go to a cafe or something and just do some more editing while I ate my lunch. Except for then you get the workmate walk up and ask what you're doing. Ah, yes. That's that's terrible. <laughs> it's like, well, now it's it's like, oh, you know, it's this you know interview with someone that I know, and that's not so bad. But back when I was doing, a, you know, an episode by episode, keeping up with the Kardashians recap, it was a little harder to explain. Yeah, I know. I mean, I was very fortunate in that... I was a teacher for the last three years and none of my co-workers like knew that I had this other thing that I was doing. I alluded to the fact that I was, you know, doing other stuff or I was busy. Because I was in teaching in a very rural place and most of the kids didn't figure. I had like one kid after I did the Brian Zane video he was like what do you what do you do and I'm like shut up kid don't fucking ruin this for me don't expose the business kid yeah I mean like I, I didn't mind like I used to have a job where I was working in like you know cold calling and stuff and like the boss was literally just me in the office on my own with a, with a telephone and I'd make like a hundred calls and then I'd just like spend the rest of the day editing and stuff like that and like one of the schools where I was teaching in like when I first first started teaching I was like Right, you know, really trying to get my shit together in terms of organizing my day because it was like, you know, I still have to watch a three-hour pay-per-view, edit a three-hour podcast, which will take me days and days. So, like, I know, I'll just watch the pay-per-view on my lunch break. So I found an empty classroom and I hid myself in there and I loaded up the network and I watched, like, you know, whatever the show was, like WrestleMania 2000 or whatever. The next day, the IT guys came over to me and they were like, "Oh no!" Um, you noticed there was a, a surge in the data usage. You used like three times the data that the entire school uses in a semester in one day. What were you doing? I was like, "Oh, I showed them uh, a David Attenborough documentary." Fucking kids, man! Ridiculous. I'm like, "Oh, don't do that ever again, please." So yeah, just like it's, it's great now, like you've been able to do all this shit and not have to worry about you know breaking a school or something like that. <laughs> See, I got ca- after Christmas, they clearly upgraded our, because we have the Wi-Fi at work, and they've given us a work phone and, and stuff, so I, I would go in and I'd put the same credentials into my personal phone, which would immediately start downloading podcasts as soon as I stepped into the building. <laughs> and clearly somebody noticed, because after the, the Christmas break, when we came back, so, like my phone would still connect to the Wi-Fi, but suddenly I couldn't get an internet connection. 
<laughs> so it's like, oh god! And I'm afraid to ask. I don't have that friendly face in the IT department <laughs> where I can be like, "Hey, man, that thing I'm not supposed to be doing—it's not working anymore." So, be cool. Let me do the thing I'm not meant to do. <laughs> I grew up in a tiny village in a tiny. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, I thought that was you laughing at me growing up in a tiny village. Like, no, I grew up in a tiny yeah. village. <laughs> 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 My demon laugh that sounds like a dog howling, that's how funny it is. <laughs> no, that is Junior deciding that there was a noise outside and running pell-mell down the hallway. Either the dog decided, oh, there's a podcast going on, I don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, normally he just like sits under the table and chews on plastic bottles and I have to cut all the sound out. Oh, I see. Well, you know. That, God, that must make life very needlessly difficult for you. <laughs> it does. But I have to give but, him a little uh, bit of slack because it's his birthday. He's six today. So apparently he's oh, being a bit of Happy birthday, doggo. Mmm, <laughs> I'm thirsty. I don't think you should drink that. It looks bad for you. Nonsense. It makes me feel great, smarter, more aggressive. I feel like I could. Like I could. Like I could. Take all the world.